Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Well, hey there, it's Nico. By now, you probably know who I am, but awkwardly, I know a whole lot less about you. So many of you tell me that you're listening to the show and I really want to know you more. Who are you? Why are you tuning in? What do you want most from Suncast? Let us know by going to mysuncast.com forward slash survey. It takes just five minutes and we'll read every answer. That's mysuncast.com forward slash survey. All right, here's the show. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, happy Thursday, Solar Warriors. Super delighted to have you tune in yet again to explore the career and lessons learned from clean energy executives that inspire and inform your own journey and growth. If you're new to Suncast, welcome to our tribe. I hope that you'll find this information helps you enter through the side door, bypassing some of the hard-won life lessons from our hundreds of guests. Today, we're going to explore what it looks like to develop a solar plus storage project at scale. As we enter into the solar plus decade, as Sia has called it, storage is increasingly becoming an area of expertise for the industry's leading EPCs and development firms. Those of you familiar with Strata Solar need no introduction to this North Carolina-based behemoth of an EPC that has quietly dominated the Southeast markets for a decade. My friend and longtime LATAM market solar warrior, Josh Rogel, joined Strata to run their energy storage division. And today, he, along with his colleagues, Will Mitchell and Garrett Lehman, are going to help us understand the development of a truly remarkable achievement for this North Carolina-based EPC, the 100 megawatt, 400 megawatt hour battery energy storage system recently approved for construction in Ventura, California. Hey, if you really do love this stuff, then you should check out the hundreds of additional founder stories and startup advice at mysuncast.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and our Energy Tribe newsletter so that you won't miss out when the next one drops. For now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. If you, like me, have spent any part of your career in multiple areas of an industry, really trying to figure out and try on and find a good fit for you as a role, as a market, as an adult trying to find his way into the job market, generally speaking, then you're going to enjoy today's conversation. Namely, my friend Josh Rogel and I have known each other since the early part of the 2010s as we were traipsing around Latin America together trying to figure out who was actually doing business. And I've watched and had the pleasure of seeing how his career has progressed. Josh has a long history in the consulting and development side of this business from his early days at Photon Consulting to now at the EPC Strata that I mentioned in the intro. Josh, welcome to Suncast, man. This has been too long in the making. 
Man, it is so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. Well, hats off to you. You've uh, recently been dubbed the chief development officer at Strata, a title that you for sure have earned. And it comes with lots of respect in the marketplace for the work that you have diligently been working on since 2015 when you left Urban Green and became uh, one of the team members at our mutual friend and mentor, Mike Grinot's tutelage at Vision Energy. Gosh, I still remember standing with you. I don't remember now which SPI it was, but you were like walking me through the Vision Flow Battery Energy Stack. And I thought to myself, geez, this guy like has really thrown himself into understanding energy storage. Did you ever <laughs> imagine that you'd be working at a developer like Strata? Yeah, you know, Nico, I was thinking back uh, when we were setting this up to when we were having coffee down in, in, in Panama talking about the development of the market in Central America back in the early 2010s and then all the SPIs and shows over the years. So it's really good to be here and, and thanks again for having us. But yeah, so one of the things that we started to see in Latin America, in Southeast Asia, in a number of developing markets that we were focused on back when we were focused on CNI uh, when I was at, at UGE was that there were fundamentals that started to look interesting for storage based on a purely economics-driven basis for demand charge mitigation, for increasing resiliency. And so we started scouring the market to understand what were the right technologies and solutions to increase power quality, decrease cost for our customers. And so when we had a chance to start diving into that, it was really interesting, the mechanics and the opportunity and how the sector seemed to be developing in a way that had a lot of similarities to that of the solar sector. And so I just became completely obsessed with the, the storage market and wanted to dive in deeply and ended up at a manufacturer, which I certainly didn't expect. I remember generally meeting you and there were a lot of perspectives on different types of companies, UGE being one out of New York where folks weren't sure what to make of UGE in the marketplace, yeah. distributor, wind and solar. Like, I'd love to hear from your perspective how you navigated that process of from, let's call it from photon to vision, like that period of your life where you were trying to figure out what it is that you were, you know, what your core skill set was and how you were going to really lean in to the energy transition. It's clear that you were very intentionally trying to be in the renewable energy business. One of my first mentors uh, happened to be my cousin, Mike Rogel, who founded Rogel Energy Consulting, which became Photon. I initially joined him when I was a sophomore in college to help him write his analyst reports covering the solar sector, then started working you know, close to full time. And it was an amazing opportunity to interact with senior executives as the Chinese solar sector was really getting going, as the Germans were displacing the Japanese in terms of their manufacturing capabilities, all these new markets were starting to turn on. It was terrific. So like we built the team from two to 50. We grew the business to, you know, tens of millions of dollars of revenue per year. We went from upstream supply side, working on IPOs, M&A, and then eventually how to capture value in the downstream. What I liked about the consulting business was that it was a great platform to interact with lots of different people across lots of different areas of the value chain. But ultimately, what became frustrating was 
we didn't have operational control. And so we could come up with the best idea. We could set everything up. We can get the ball to the one yard line. But ultimately, it was the client's responsibility to punch it in. I wanted to sort of move to the operator side where we did have that control around value creation. And also, I'd been living in China for about a year and a half after having opened our operations up over there, which was absolutely spectacular. Highly recommend it to early and mid-stage career folks who want to be able to get into the weeds, be uncomfortable. There was a huge amount of personal and professional growth there, but it was just time to come back. And UGE presented an opportunity for me to get back to the States, to come into a company that had a really interesting channel partnership with installers all over the world but a really crappy product in vertical axis wind turbines. And so when I looked at that channel opportunity, it looked to me like um, we could leverage that and build capabilities and expertise around solar and financing and leverage those relationships to create a lot of value in, in somewhere where they hadn't played. So that's how and why I made the switch over from Photon in China to UG in the US. You know, you saw what we all in the industry saw around mid part of the last decade, 2014, 2015, especially trips around Latin America, that there was this implicit need for energy storage in particular, and not even connected to specifically solar or wind. Most of the power distribution down there relies on heavy fuel oil, relies on bunker peaker plants coupled with Hydro and hydro sort of served as the market storage mechanism, and we started seeing projects that you know solar wouldn't wouldn't really compete as the last cost or last into the solar market unless they had some other mechanism to give them something like firm power. I was really impressed when I saw you go over to Vision and take that jump, an early jump by mo- by most of us in the industry over to storage. Making that transition, what was the hardest part for you going from predominantly like an analyst view of the industry and then a channel partner view of the industry to working directly with a manufacturer on a product that was still early days getting out in the market? In order to be successful in this role, you had to be able to tell a story about the attributes and the performance of a technology that didn't really exist. And in a way that's different than the development side when you're bringing all the pieces of a project together and you really need to believe the story, which will likely to come together on the technology side, there's just all sorts of risks. And I didn't really have a good way of assessing those risks aside from believing the IT reports that we had and the technologies that founded it. And ultimately the technology really was challenged in a way that I didn't understand until I was there. And I really learned a lot around how to evaluate and approach new technologies, but also how to deal with my relationships, like dealing with commitments that we had made where the product was challenged. And there were failures, both on the manufacturing side and the performance side. And I wouldn't change that experience at all. I learned a ton and it really helped to put me where I am today in the position at Strata to build out the development and EPC platform with the amazing team that we built. But it was really the sort of the, 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 the failure of that technology that really brought a lens in which I think provides the platform for success here. You know, as we get into this uh, story today, we're going to introduce 
couple other team members that are the rock stars actually out in the field pulling these projects together. And there's a lot that we can explore there. Hat tip to Will Mitchell, who we'll talk to in a little bit for bringing up sort of the latest evolution or success story that you guys are working on at Strata. I've always been impressed with Marcus Willem and how this company has grown. And I frankly was both surprised and impressed with your joining Strata as their VP of storage, because I sort of had you in this category of now sort of product manager and market developer to take on a role with a skill set in a new market like storage, where you are now the domain expert for a company like Strata that uh, relies on your ability to navigate a very, very complex sort of both bolt-on product to the development cycle. I think that that speaks volumes for your preparation. As you began to evaluate how to take on the role of VP of storage for Strata, what were some of the skills that you felt were fundamentally developed or that you still needed to work on as you transitioned now into a full-scale project development role where you have now control of the operations cycle, where you have input into the development and completion of a project, not just the selection of equipment? I'll walk you through what I think I knew and was well-prepared for and some of what I really had to, to learn along the way. The understanding of the technology, the storage technology, and how the technology ties to financial performance, I understand really well, right? As a vendor, what the story is that we were telling was our product will create value for all of these reasons, uh, round-trip efficiency, performance in the field for doing this duty cycle or that duty cycle. I really understood the fundamentals of um, how storage creates value in markets. From my sort of financing and banking days, I understood how to project finance deals and, and the life cycle and interdependency between technology, cost of capital, and performance. I understood the origination and pitch to end customers, where it was a you know behind-the-meter customer, or there, there was like a clear off-taker of the energy or power or service that typically wasn't the utility. But where I didn't have a lot of experience was in front of the meter, utility scale, bread and butter development in the way that the Strata team really did. What I had to learn was how to overlay the sort of domain experience and expertise with like bread and butter utility scale development and understanding, okay, when we look for a site, what are the technical and interconnection attributes that we really need to understand to evaluate a project. Um, and two is like, how do we evaluate sighting risk, uh, angry neighbors, wetlands, turtles that might be crossing the land, all the things that a, like a real utility scale developer understands sort of, and, and lives every day. I just hadn't lived that before. So that was, that was new for me. Yeah. I want to, at some point, explore the element of that being new for you as a domain expert with also working with folks who already had that core expertise in some way, like their skill set was in service to your mission. To do that, I'd like to bring in one of Josh's colleagues, a guy named Will Mitchell. Will was mentioned earlier in the show, and I know for a fact he's a Suncast uh, listener, and as such, he took me up on the offer 
what stories should we be telling? What interviews should we be doing? Uh, and I'm grateful for Will reaching out about one of the recent projects that he's been involved in with Josh. Will, welcome to Suncast as well. Nico, thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. You know, some of the elements of the conversation around developing a project that Josh talked about, the technical elements to evaluate a deal for readiness, how storage as a separate technology from solar is disrupting the fossil fuel industry. These things are, in many ways, old hat for you. Can you give the listeners who maybe aren't familiar with your role at Strata and your previous work a taste of how you found your way to Strata? Sure, sure. I, I might have one of the most undefined roles at Strata in terms of what's on paper versus what I get to roll my sleeves up and get involved in, which is frankly one of the things I've always loved about this industry and what I've really enjoyed about Strata is that it's kind of a pick up the shovel and go mentality. Um, and that's that's really kind of what came together for this project in particular. And that's kind of how we've built our success and what we're trying to build our success on. I've always been on the development side. I came right out of college and was brought in as a junior associate at a very old school, dare I say, salty independent power producer um, that had been around. And these were kind of old school guys that really developed natural gas plants and were, you know, just that classic infrastructure developer type. And uh, I was with them for a while. I was with them for like six, seven years. And it was frankly an incredible mentorship. You don't necessarily realize it at the time, but they had really good fundamentals. Um, mm -hmm. And it's honestly development and sports. There's a lot of analogies, but you got to have good fundamentals. It was very much a mentorship business. I mean, you could read a book all day, every day on how to do development, but a lot of it's got to be gut instinct. A lot of it's got to be, you know, trial by fire. A lot of, you got to make a lot of mistakes. And I got to, you know, work all over the country, almost in every market in the U.S. with these guys doing primarily natural gas power development, which was exciting. But also while I was doing it, this kind of wave of renewables was happening, you know, inside the company, we were focused on natural gas. And so the renewables just was was not our focus. And maybe it was, you know, people didn't think at the time that it was as real as it was. And then it just kept growing and getting bigger and bigger. And I honestly wanted to become a part of that industry and was able to transition over to um, a, another great development firm called Recurrent Energy back in, I think, 2014. I've always spent a lot of my career on kind of government affairs, policy, early stage business development, early stage siting. So I, I had the pleasure of, or fortunate to see a wide, wide, wide swath of the industry. And frankly, at the end of the day, I like infrastructure development. I like things that go in the ground and have metal and spin. I've just never, software has never really been interesting to me or anything like that. And so Recurrent was just a, you know, as, as folks know, a, a story development firm on the renewable side. I got to be a part of some really wild transitions with the takeover of Canadian solar, the acquisition of Canadian solar, but always on the development side. And that's where at Recurrent, we started doing a lot of storage development with a great team there. And uh, honestly, I took a lot of the experience I had developing natural gas peaker plants like in population centers. I was like, well, this is pretty straightforward. I mean, we're just, instead of putting a peaker down, we're going to put some batteries in. And so the siting was frankly similar. And then I joined 
Strata almost two years ago with a focus on West origination, as Josh has laid out, and I think you'll hear from Garrett, we pretty much do what needs to get done, whether it's origination or development or whatever has to happen, which is the fun part of working on a small team and working in this industry. And it's been nice. I mean, I spend whatever needs to get done. We just kind of pick up the shovel and go. Yeah, true developer mentality. I love the story that you interjected there around the mentorship element of rolling your sleeves up, getting in there, doing the dirty work. It actually speaks to what you've certainly heard me say a hundred times here on Suncast that my view, and it's definitely for those who probably caught Sheldon Kimber's uh, couple of episodes here, it stands true. Sheldon was at Calpine, like the folks in our industry, like you and Sheldon, I think of uh, the founder, Bruce Levy at BMR, guys that really cut their teeth on the power side of this business stand to dominate as our industry gets to the fundamentals stage. As we begin to do what you guys are doing right now, which is displace fossil fuels. A part of your story that I think is fascinating is you went from developing gas-fired power plants to effectively shutting them down. What you guys are working on right now with Strata is category leading uh, in every aspect, not just from the well-oiled machine that is Strata's EPC business, but from the way that you, Josh, Garrett, and the team are thinking about integrating storage as a necessary component to solar plants. Can you give me some of the background? You've been at Strata and have been nurturing along, ushering in this Ventura County project that I mentioned in the lead up. Can you give me some of the background about how, as a team, Strata began to think at the scale that you guys are thinking about regarding integrating storage into some of these projects that you were out developing? Absolutely. You know, similar to solar, scales all about economics, right? So you got to you got to look at economics, you also got to look at the demand in California, you got to look at what the utilities are after. And then quite frankly there's just a fair amount of luck involved in development too, right? You got to set yourself up for success and hope for some lucky breaks. This project was a combination of that. We had, you know, really good partners and consultants and folks kind of doing some of the early legwork. And then there was an opportunity for Garrett and I to step in and get this thing across the finish line. And it certainly wasn't without, you know, almost a dozen people that supported us. So, you know, these, these projects, you know, a huge part about the success of these projects is good team management and making sure everyone's getting it, getting it done and you got the right people on it. And with scale, I think, you know, this Ventura project at 100 megawatts, 400 megawatt hours our next couple of projects are that much bigger. You know, we're looking at 300 megawatts and on and on. And we're, you know, similar to how the solar industry scaled, we're certainly seeing the opportunity there just, just from the demand alone and then project economics. And so I think the growth of storage is still very, very early and manufacturing is increasing every day, which is incredibly exciting for us. So Nico, I think one of the things that's really interesting about the energy storage space that's different than solar is that, as you said, the traditional power marketing guys, the folks that uh, come from the Calpines, the NRGs that understand how electrons move across RTOs, uh, how to structure tolling agreements and sort of different types of offtake structures than solar. It's just storage is a different game 
And so people that are coming from thermal with really strong skill sets are plugging in really nicely into the storage development space in a different way than the solar folks have, just because, you know, solar traditionally has been solar gets produced, it gets pushed out to the grid and someone's buying it on a unit contingent basis. When it gets produced, it gets taken. And there's all sorts of complex financial structuring and power marketing where, uh, we're seeing people from the traditional thermal power plant space moving into the battery space and driving a lot of value. So on opportunities for large-scale storage development, where we're seeing peakers come offline and storage coming in to provide local capacity, these are stories that come together over many years where there is a social justice opposition of recontracting with a thermal plant. There's an assessment at the Public Utility Commission that's hard fought amongst multiple players. There's insight into where there may be an opportunity. There's engineering studies and technical studies that are done for where you can put these things. There's site identification. So what seems like an opportunity that comes together quickly is often a multi-year of regulatory, policy, technical, financial foresight, where like a lot of people are putting a lot of chips on the table and taking a lot of risk for what seems like oftentimes an overnight success when the headline comes out on any given opportunity. This episode is also brought to you by Adani Solar USA, a fully integrated renewables company from solar sale and module manufacturing to project ownership and operation. Adani has an impressive operating and contracted pipeline of over 14 gigawatts of solar energy projects and recently received the largest solar award ever of 8 gigawatts. It's mind-blowing. And it includes a single-site project of 2 gigawatts, which itself is tied for the world's largest. No one knows mega-scale projects like Adani. If you'd like to work with Adani, go to mysuncast.com forward slash Adani, A-D-A-N-I, and fill out the information request form and we'll put you in touch with their local team. I'd like to jump back to Will for a minute as Will was actively involved in helping bring this project, which is emblematic of the the struggle our industry is going through right now to integrate storage into the renewables process. Will, can you Give me a better understanding as director of origination, someone who's been in policy, there's a lot of groundwork that has to be laid before a project like this can actually get into the pre-development, pre-construction phase, which you guys have just completed. Congratulations, by the way. Help us understand the role that you played and the teamwork that's required to bring a project like this to the point where it's ready to build. Absolutely. And, and I think you called it out exactly how it is. And it's it's the ground game on projects like these. And my time outside of Strata, I'm involved in kind of local government and politics. And, you know, people say all politics is local, all development is local. And you, you got to be on the ground, developing relationships, getting to know people. And it's as simple as just having them understand and developing that mutual trust and respect and recognizing that you're a real firm, but then being there and just being committed to it goes such a long way. And for for us, that was almost a, a weekly part of our life last year. For a good chunk of last year, I, I practically moved my residency down to Ventura County. Um, and we had a great time doing it, but that's just what has to happen when you want to pull through a big, complex project that you know a county or a jurisdiction has never seen before. 
not one person can get this done. It's got to be a team. And I think the person that could probably tell the story better than me is is the one who really got it done on the permitting side and really got it done with the county. And that, that's my colleague, Garrett, who is, you know, he and I were, uh, we drove around in a lot of rental cars together. A lot of fun times down there on the project. Well, let's do that. Let's talk to Garrett Lehman, the Director of Development at Strata Solar. So this project was uh, real interesting because like all development, we're trying to balance uh, dollars at risk versus, uh, you know, development risk. And we pushed that off a little longer than would have been ideal on this project, uh, given that it was a new market and it's a new contracting challenges for Strata. So by the time we had to jump into the real meat of the permitting, we were behind the eight ball. And there wasn't a whole lot of time to spare. You know, I guess first I have to thank Marcus for really putting trust into Will and myself and saying, I'm going to let you guys do what needs to be done to get this across the finish line. And he gave us a lot of latitude to really take ownership and step up and run this project. And then we couldn't have done it without that. So Will and I jumped in. And I think this, in the first three to four months, this project died every other week. We needed water. We needed to figure out noise. Did we have enough land, actually? Oh, wait, the substation or the project substation isn't quite where it needs to be. Can we move it? Do we need, we need to go back to the landowner and get negotiate a new lease to try to find uh, a new site that works for the project? You know, every time we thought it thought it might be dead, we buckled down. We asked, we talked to everybody, uh, went back out to different integrators, asked all the relevant parties, gathered our information, and eventually found a solution. And so it was real challenging, but also really fun. And that was about the first three to four months. And then we dove in with the actual county and the local permitting process. And this is where Will's experience was very helpful. You know, I'm good with standard permitting process and moving that forward. I understand it very well. Actually, my wife is a, a local planner, so I get a lot of insights on how that works and how to work with you know the other side and the, the community. We work collaboratively with the local government to try to help them hit their timelines. You know, we weren't pushy, but we agreed on things. We agreed on what we would do and what they would do. And we made sure to hit those dates and stay in communication with them. Uh, the other thing that we couldn't have done without, you know, there's no way we could have made this project happen is we had a killer local consultant team. I think Ventura County is known for taking about 18 months to get through a process like this. And we did it in eight. We came to the county, we talked to them. They said it was possible, but no one really believed it. And through our local consulting team, the county being proactive, us being proactive and asking questions ahead of that time and responding quickly to any questions they had, we got it done. And everyone ended up hitting the dates that we agreed upon at the start of this. It was it was amazing. And it was a you know, it was really a team effort from us, our consultants and the county to help make this happen. One of the elements that really dictates the sense of urgency, the sense of chaos in many cases for large-scale projects like this is the 
sheer amount of money on the line. The project in question is no different. Uh, there was a $6 million development bond on the line. And so I asked Josh to give me a sense of what the pressure of a deal like this can do for a team, especially a relatively young team in the construct of the, of the expansion with Strata. So Nico, besides putting on about 60 pounds between the three of us and receding hairlines, upset wives and families, it was smooth sailing. <laughs> but in, in, in all seriousness, it was a huge amount of pressure. It was driven by our off-takers need to have this local capacity come online by a certain date, our commitments to help meet that, doing something that really hadn't been done before. And so there wasn't a template in working uh, with the community and their zoning codes. We were going through, you know, in our partnership with Tesla and their Megapack, it's a new product. And so it's using a foundation from the power pack, but documentation was being created on the fly. And there was a lot of things that were new there. The financiers review of all of the attributes of the project was new. It was Strata's an, an early project where the revenue composition of the contracts and the offtake was abnormal insofar as a majority of the expected revenue over the term was uncontracted. And so there was just so much newness in a new market where we hadn't done much work in California before. And so getting everyone comfortable with everything uh, being done for the first time took a tremendous amount of effort over communication, coordination amongst the team. And man, it was stressful. Like we had a totally pain in the ass nine month sprint where we were running a marathon, but like at a sprint, a sprint pace. And like, when I look back at it, the grind was so fun. And like, we built an incredible amount of camaraderie amongst the internal team, amongst our partnerships. And like, one of the things that's particularly fun and interesting is once you have a team and a structure that is working and firing on all cylinders, it's really hard to come off that high. So as soon as we you know, we, 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 we close the transaction. It's on, it's like, you can see the group foaming at the mouth to say, how can we get that energy, that speed, that dedication and focus up again and not have a lull? Because it's like, you just become addicted to the energy of wanting to go into the next one. I've held back a little bit from getting into the, the deep sort of financial technical elements of the project. There's a couple of things that I'm curious about and there's certainly some of the other energy walks listening will be uh, will be curious about to the extent that you can complement this discussion with additional details around the way the project and revenues are structured that'd be great I'm amazed to hear that the majority of the expected revenue was uncontracted it seems like a tremendous element of risk from an otherwise conservative company like Strata and I'm curious what did it take internally to convince Marcus the founder of Strata to agree to move forward on a deal like this Firstly, kudos to Marcus for being entrepreneurial in his approach to putting his team in a position to identify a large-scale opportunity and transitioning away from what was a reasonably cookie-cutter development approach to uh, 5 megawatt AC QFs in 
North Carolina that were rinse and repeat. And he built an incredible expertise into scaling a business that was predicated on that to going into a new geography, new technology, new offtake structure. So that is incredible. He moved with speed and grace and like hats off to him for having the trust in the team to go execute on that. And the cojones to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Number two is in terms of the financial makeup of the project, there's three sources of of revenue for uh, battery energy storage in in most markets. And and this is certainly the case in Kaiso. You have the capacity attributes uh, of which resource adequacy is part of it. And for many utility scale storage contracts, the utility is giving a long-term contract for that resource adequacy. It's a bilateral contract. And CCAs are procuring that IOUs like uh, San Diego Gas and Electric and Southern California Edison and Pacific Gas and Electric. And then you have an uh, energy revenues where you are doing energy arbitrage. That is a merchant revenue stream. And you also have ancillary services, so frequency regulation or synchronous reserve, where you're getting paid to provide grid balancing services for the grid. Different types of projects have different revenue compositions. In some cases, it could be fully contracted in a tolling type of arrangement. But in this case, it was a 20-year resource adequacy contract where we get paid a fixed monthly rate from Southern California Edison. And then outside of that, we are monetizing and switching back and forth based on real-time market conditions between energy and ancillary services revenue. And so there's some interesting potential financial engineering that can be done to provide floors or bands or de-risk that in some way. But that is an uncontracted revenue stream where there are Many owners, uh, many operators that have experience with that, not with batteries, but in traditional power marketing or with thermal assets, where there is a a market understanding, a forecast, and it's all about getting the sponsor equity, the lenders comfortable with that forward forecast to hit a certain risk-adjusted return. Man, that is really insightful. And for those who... Have, may have already listened to our previous Tactical Tuesday with Will. They'll no doubt uh, have heard a portion of that as Will expre- expressed exactly what resource adequacy and other market mechanisms are for pricing storage projects. If you missed that, I encourage you to go back and listen to it uh, as well. Josh, you mentioned in there that you used a mega pack. I know that's one of the presumptive questions everyone's going to come into this conversation wondering because it's sort of the the tech side of the of the piece obviously you have a lot of experience in uh, helping folks select specific storage technology there are lots of things you could say about tesla and uh, relative risk but why take the leap into the mega pack which is relatively as you put relatively new product from tesla given there are other and plenty of other products out in the market So what we're looking at when we make a procurement decision is obviously CapEx matters, OpEx matters, risk matters, the availability of space matters, the ease of permitting matters. These are all really important attributes as we evaluate the suite of technology solutions that could go into any project. And that all needs to be tied to the specific use case, meaning what is the battery going to be doing in terms of the duty cycle and throughput in a specific location, the temperature, the noise, 
to make a given return for a project. And so there's no silver bullet here where I'd say we use one technology at every storage project, bar none. It, you really need to tie the use case to the technology and the provider. So Strata's technology assessment capabilities and our technical team is, is really quite strong. Um, and it, we, what we spent a lot of time doing is thinking about what's the right procurement strategy. So we went to China, to Korea, to Japan, and visited lithium ion cell module pack rack integration facilities to make an assessment of, does lithium iron phosphate make the most sense here? Does NMC make the most sense? How do we think about the risk of fire and fire safety? How do we think about the risk of density of the project because we only have so much land at a, a, a particular location? And so we spent a lot of time with a number of different vendors and ran uh, an RFP. We got both the financial and technical proposals back. And one of the things that is for now unique about Tesla, and maybe BYD fits into this category as well, but, but most of the other system integrators, not quite yet, is their vertical integration and really thinking about product creation from the ground up in terms of the software and hardware to drive performance and safety really is unique because they they built the product and, and, and control everything. And the mega pack, they fixed and improved on a lot of things from the power pack. And so the product density, the costs is all differentiated. Whereas if you go to a different system integrator, what they're often doing is taking a cell or module pack from another supplier then they're taking their software and their hardware and trying to make it work together. And you've got issues on warranties, on integration, on understanding performance curves. And for us, that added complexity and risk just simply didn't make sense for this project. Um, and Tesla made it very easy for us to procure and, and ultimately design and get it entitled. Back when we were going through this decision, you know, we threw out our RFP. And at that point, we were like, it's going to be building-based. And... It's the only way we can get it done, and maybe we'll we want it to be LFP, and maybe we'll throw in or just check out some container-based solutions. As the project started going, we started looking at timeline and other risks like need for water. And Tesla came back with a solution, and they're like, "We only need half the space where everyone else was super tight and hardly fitting." And they're like, "And we don't need water for our fire protection because our system's built in." And at that point. I just started screaming at Josh. I was like, this is what we have to do as long as it's close. Like, this is the only way we're getting through, Josh. We have to go this way. But it, it totally came out of the blue because we were 100% looking down a different development path. And this came in. It solved three or four major problems we had, especially with noise, water, and time to construct. At that point, it was almost the obvious solution. Uh, that's not how we go for every project, but for this one, man, did it save us. We touched a little on Josh and Will and their segue into their roles at Strata, but many in our tribe find themsel themselves in the position that Garrett does. You've got core skills, but it's not at first abundantly clear how you might make your way into a role like director of development at a nationally and internationally recognized construction firm. So I wanted to get some insight from Garrett as we 
roll into home base on this interview. How does someone parlay a core skill set like GIS, as an example, into a fundamental role developing in massive projects like this, getting into the development side of the business? So I wanted Garrett to give us some tips that he might have for people who are thinking about how to make a transition into clean energy through the lens of his own career. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, thinking back on my career, that I've, I, the biggest takeaway is you have to be a risk taker, have to have willingness to step up and willingness to ask for support when you need it. In thinking back on my career, I've never applied for and gotten a job. So when I graduated, my wife and I moved to Bend for the lifestyle. And I was working at like a Frito-Lay factory. And I was just like, I have a master's degree. What am I doing? So I went and just started talking to people at the city of Bend and volunteered. And then they said, hey, you should talk to this other guy. So I took a few hours with him and worked my way into a, a GIS job. And I knew nothing about GIS uh, at a company of like five people. And then that turned into my wife and I moved to Portland and I started having drinks with people at her office. And they said, we need GIS. I was like, I can do it. And just started taking a couple hours, turned that into a job, started doing oil and gas and mining permitting. And then I learned more and more about permitting. And when my neighbor came through and said, I just won this RFP. The timeline is insanely short. I'm not sure how we can do this. I said, I can do it. You know, just took that on and took on my first role in renewable energy permitting, you know, and stepped up and there, there was a lot of risk along the way, but I made sure I found people who could support me, communicated with them and, you know, asked the right questions uh, and tried to manage that risk as I accepted more of it into my life. For those who are uninitiated in the Portland renewable landscape, I want to highlight the element that has impacted everyone on Suncast, myself included, certainly Josh uh, and Will would agree with this, the element of timing and luck. Because while you're going to say my neighbor, I'm going to let the, the, the community know that neighbor was none other than Jeff Brown, who himself is a pioneer in developing utility scale solar and storage uh, throughout the Western region for Element Power. And now the president of Poen Energy did the first major uh, U.S. battery, utility scale battery project. So I think it's really interesting from a career mind perspective how timing and preparation are important. Because when your neighbor walks up, and says, we've got this deal, but you're not in the industry. You might not think, oh, this is my entree into a new industry. I love that story, Garrett, because having the background that I know, I know the risk-taking and the element of just putting yourself on the line that Jeff and many others in your sphere of influence have, have gone through. And it's remarkable to be able to get that backstory, to really understand how you are, you're able to piece together, like, oh, I've got this skill set. It turns out it's very valuable in this other industry. I mean, what a, what a testament to being in the right place at the right time and saying yes to opportunities that come your way. Exactly. And you know, that opportunity led, led to a recommendation by Jeff to do some work with Nextera. And then that opportunity led to another recommendation 
to start working with Strata when they moved out to the West Coast to help them develop some Oregon QF projects on the land permitting side. And from there, I started working with the VP pretty closely. I was working almost all my hours for him at a consulting firm for about three months. He was asking, we were driving around in a car and he's like, yeah, we're thinking about growing. If we win this RFP, we're going to have to do something else. And I, So I just asked him, I was like, what does that look like? And we started talking in the car and, you know, next thing I know, he's like, well, I think you'd be great at that. And I was like, I know the permitting side. I don't know anything about the financials and the interconnection and the other sides, the other side of development. But I was like, I can learn and I can, as long as Strata has people that can help support me, I can figure that out too. So I jumped ship about almost three years ago and got into development and same thing happened there. I'd been doing solar for a while and, you know, I really liked talking to Josh and he was telling me about storage and a new energy, new industry, like part of the industry. And I was like, I can do that. That sounds awesome. I'd love to take, take on those risks and challenges. And so when this project came up, I just jumped in. Garrett, Will, and Josh are a classic example of committing yourself to learn a skill and then figuring out how that skill can transition from one company to the next. And then you can build on top of that skill. I've gotten to know these three guys and highly respect not only their careers, but the companies that they've helped through, uh, through in our industry, names that you'd recognize like Strata and Recurrent Vision, UGE. They've also impressed me at their ability to manage the insanity that can be the development cycle. So as uh, family guys and managing more than just the sort of the, the solo element of leaning into your company, I wanted to get some final thoughts as we round out this interview from these guys about managing the stress as a team, as a family man, and growing your career without uh, losing a sense of self. And at the same time, I asked each of them to share a few of their takeaways as they've clearly been able to sort of transition to the, a higher place in, uh, in their career. What advice might they give? This industry has a ton of stress. Like we said, these projects die a hundred times before they finally live. And coming from GIS and permitting, I was really office-based, and now I travel a bunch. So one of the key things for managing my personal life is a lot of open communication with my wife and family and really understanding when things aren't balanced and trying to correct those as best I can while keeping the projects moving forward and being responsible. I have to say I couldn't do it without a great team like Josh and Will and how supportive they've been of that balance and all three of us sharing workloads and responsibilities to help keep the project moving and keeping all three of us sane. I think some of the key takeaways I would have is, like I said, be a risk taker, understand your value and step up. But when you do, you got to realize you're not on an island. Like you have a team. You need to ask for information when you don't know stuff and, and trust people to give you that information. That's the biggest thing I see is uh, if you want to grow, you got to take risks, but you also have to realize that it's not just you. This industry is hard, incredibly hard, incredibly difficult, but that's what makes it amazing. You got to really have a passion for what you're doing to be able to tolerate 
just quite frankly, what's like nerve wracking and stressful and painful. And if you're not squared away on the home front, that just becomes a huge distraction and complication. And so my wife works full time as well. We've got two young kids. It's crazy trying to manage the schedule, you know, travel schedule and like, you know, tidying stuff up on weekends on the project. But like Garrett said, you got to have that open communication and your partner's got to understand that this, you know, this is a career, this, you know, you can't, you know, do a good job on these projects if you aren't fully committed. They just, they, they encompass too much. And so you got to, you know, if this is an industry that you're really passionate about and you really want to make a career to be successful in it, given how competitive it is, you got to be ready to commit, but you just got to make sure that everyone else that is a part of your life understands that commitment because it's a full team effort to try to figure out how to, how to make it work. But as Josh said, you know, these projects are incredibly addicting. So once, you know, you don't, you just want to keep, you just want to keep doing them and doing them because they're fun and the challenges are just amazing. And uh, there's just nothing better than getting a really complex project across the finish line. There's no better feeling. How to manage the stress. Uh, Make sure you get exercise. Carve out time to clear your mind. Garrett and Will will... uh can can attest to the regular calls that we'd have daily with me hopping on the Peloton in the basement during Corona here at my in-laws house in New Jersey. And, uh, and, and just like, you got to carve out 30 minutes or else you're just going to feel terrible and uh, it, it'll hurt the performance. Second thing to managing stress, like development by its nature has really high highs and really low lows. And you got to do your best to stay somewhat centered along the way, or else you just like you become incapable of functioning. You got to stay sort of moderated along the way. In terms of advice, two things. One is I think like just generally for the Suncast community and tribe, we all have an obligation to to pay it forward. And I think Will, Garrett, Nico would agree. Like we're all really lucky to be where we are today. And for the next generation of folks coming into this industry, like take the time to help people get to where they want to be. And, and not only does it make yourself feel good, but it'll help grow this community and really improve it to, to where I think we all want it to be. So that's, that, that's number one. And then two is, I think the other guys hit on it a bit, but, but just open communication, managing up, managing across in this remote world that we're all living in these days candor, openness, inclusion makes a world of difference. And it helps bring people along to be part of the problem solving. It makes things easier along the way. It helped me both in in, in my personal and professional life in in a really big way. I love that. We are not an army of one. And uh, so many of you solar warriors give us that feedback every time uh, you reach out to thank us for bringing you leaders like Josh Will and Garrett. So pay it forward. I'd like to wrap with one question for you, Josh. What do you believe is the next big overwhelming, looming problem that that the clean energy industry is going to solve? What's holding us back and what corners are you looking around? I think we all come from an industry that's grown up and tends to be really fragmented, both in terms of the market opportunities, the number of companies participating, the like one-off transaction costs and structuring. And so I think 
now that it's crystal clear that renewables are replacing old dirty thermal, like bringing efficiency and the sector starting to grow up is one of the key trends that we'll start to see. And not only will it bring decreased costs, expanding the pie in terms of job opportunities and people transitioning in, I, I think it's just like a maturing process that I look forward to seeing in this industry that we're kind of on the precipice of. And for, for me, it feels like we, we've started to turn the corner in, 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 in the last year. And, and so I think, you know, into 2021 and beyond as states in the U.S. Uh, and, and globally, you know, countries are setting such aggressive targets. Um, we're going to need to get bigger, better, faster, stronger in what we do. Growing off a base of, of hippies and putting a solar panel on their tent in the backyard, that maturation process uh, is going to be exciting to see. All right, Warriors. I hope that you have enjoyed that conversation. Garrett, Will, Josh, thank you so much for joining us. You guys are leading the charge for the next development, the next generation of what it looks like for this renewable energy transition away from fossil fuels and towards a more sustainable future for our infrastructure. I'm certain that this interview in particular has helped prepare you to take on the energy transition, Solar Warriors, with renewed vigor, strength, and insight, and so much practical advice. If you're eager to keep learning, then you, my fellow Philomath, can find the resources and highlights from this and every discussion, along with the social media links, book recommendations, and more over on the blog at mysuncast.com. While you're there, won't you take two minutes of your precious time which we are grateful for. Give us feedback in our listener survey. You'll find an icon on the homepage that is called listener survey. Truly helps us make this experience better for you. So please take the survey at mysuncast.com. I hope that you'll tune in next week for more inspiring and tactical advice. On Tuesdays, we feature a shorter form episode that we call Tactical Tuesday where we introduce you to a subject matter expert in a 20 to 30 minute discussion designed to help you get specific information that at the very least makes you more interesting in your next networking conversation. And each Thursday is a longer form conversation with founders, executives, change makers, and thought leaders just like you've experienced today. These clean economy mavens and icons help us explore through their origin stories and glean their on-the-ground insights and advice and delve into personal business and life hacks, all so that you can level up your game and be well-equipped for the journey from apprentice to master. If you're a newbie to the industry, I really highly encourage you to join our free Facebook group, The Energy Guild. It's really simple to find. Search The Energy Guild in Facebook. You can network with hundreds of other clean energy professionals and get access to exclusive live trainings, mentorship, and guild-only guides and more. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.